if you just do a lot of it, whether you're calling agents, calling sellers, you just got to do a shit ton of it. You got to be willing to do it on the weekends, on Saturdays, on Sundays. I work every week, every day. So if you want what other people don't have, you got to do what they're willing not to do. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Penn, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Michael Connell. Mike is a real estate flipper, wholesaler, house hacker, and developer in the Bay Area. In this episode, Mike will tell us how to become successful investors in the Bay Area and how you can grow your real estate investing business. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy! All right, Michael, welcome to the show. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate investing. My name is Michael Quinnell. We buy Bay Area. We do the whole Bay Area pretty much. We're based in the South Bay. I got started in business back when I was like 10. We used to do like Kool-Aid stands and then we used to like do like landscaping for neighbors and things like that. Use the money and go buy like toys and stuff at Toys R Us. So that's how I really got started like hustling, just like doing stuff around the neighborhoods. And then later on, I had friends who got into real estate during the right before the crash hit. So the people were making like twice as much as our teachers. So when I used to go to, I was going to UC Santa Cruz and I was like, this is stupid. Why am I going to go get a job when my friends are making twice as much as the teachers are making? It makes no sense. So I get my real estate license. I was doing like loans, helping people buy new construction and then made good money. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go buy like, you know, brand new Mercedes like everybody else. I'm going to go get a house. And I went to the auctions, I was getting houses like 20, 30% below market, but then that's when the market crashed. So all that went to shit. So it made no difference that I, that I paid like, you know, 20, 30% less because by the time you're done with the project, you know, it was gone. So I learned how to do a short sale from that. So I did like two of my own short sales. And then uh, I started doing a lot of loss mitigation. Like one year I did like 20, 25, like short sales for closures. We used to do like loan mods. That's how I did my first wholesale deal actually was from a buyer. It was like 10K over in the South side. And they didn't even want to pay me at first. Then we threatened, you know, we're going to sue you. So they're like, okay, I'll just give you the 10K. <laughs> but we got them a good deal because we used to work down lenders like super, super good. We would be able to work down lenders like 40, 50% sometimes. And, you know, who cares? They want to screw people over. We'll just do the same to them. So, and then um, I was doing that for like five years. Something like that. I was doing a lot of foreclosures and short sales. Did a little bit of property management for banks, Wells Fargo and stuff like that. Kicking out squatters, boarding up houses, then breaking back in again the next day. Learned how to do cash for keys that way. Dealt with like a lot of handyman that way. Kind of got like a little bit of project management experience from that. And then after a while, it kind of got really, really depressing hearing people who are like 50, 67 year old losing everything they got. So like... I read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week and then I bought a one way ticket to Brazil and I left the country 
for like six months, traveled around like South America, Asia, and then I love Brazil the most. So I just came back, sold everything, moved to Rio for like a year. I had like a business out there doing like B2B business leads, but uh, they run a very informal like business culture. They don't do leads. And if you give them a lead, they call them like a week or two later. So by then it's, it's shit. So <laughs> it makes no difference. And then but it was cool. There for World Cup, Carnival. I made a lot of good friends. Had a made a really good best friend, business partner. And then when I came back, just got more into like the investment side. There wasn't as many foreclosures anymore. So I did a couple short sales and foreclosures here and there, but most of that had dried up by now. And there's more and more investors doing it, but less and less foreclosures out there. That's when I actually happened to run into um, Tom Tran from Stronger Moms. I met him when I came back. And he was like, yeah, man, I'm going to start doing flipping houses. I was like, same here, man. And then we stayed in contact. And then literally like a year and a half, two years later, I do a wholesale deal that he ends up passing on because he was like out of state or something like that. So, and then we reconnect. And then, yeah, that's, that's been it from then. Since then, like the last four years, whatever it is, I've just been doing wholesales and hotels. And then I just started doing rehabs. And now I'm doing like more new construction, additions, entitlement projects. So, yeah. It's been a pretty good ride so far. Yeah, and I saw that very recently you actually did a deal with Adam Toe and you did a property in Sunnyville, right? You want to go ahead and tell us that story? Like how did you guys find it and what kind of work you did? That one, luckily, because I've been in real estate for so long, like I got, I know a lot of agents. I know how to talk to them, like decent amount of knowledge and stuff like that. So I got agents that I've known for years. And then this guy, I've been in contact with the agent that had it. I was in contact with him for a while, like two, three years or something like that before he actually came across it. And then we closed on it in May. We did an extension, like a 300 square feet addition. The house is pretty much brand new. Only thing that's original is like the frame, the roof, and the foundation. We gutted the whole thing. Everything, electrical, plumbing, everything's brand new. Opened up the kitchen. We did everything pretty quick. Like we closed in mid-May or something like that. And we just sold it right before like first week of December first, second week of December. So that was like seven months or something like that. So that was pretty quick, cause, but that's because Sunnyvale is a quick city to work with. Some cities like San Jose take forever to get permits and to get things like that done. That one, nothing in the house was untouched other than the roof, foundation, and studs. And then we have a couple other projects we're doing. I just met Adam like in April and I was like, I, I'm looking for someone to partner with to do bigger deals. I want to do additions. I want to do new construction. So it worked out really good. I met him through Brian Pham. So I appreciate you, Brian, if you're listening out there, man, for doing that. And then, yeah, we got a project now going on in Cambrian and San Jose. So if you, anyone knows where Cambrian is, that's like the nicer area of San Jose by Willow Glen, close to Campbell. Picked up a house for like 650 and that's going to be another rehab with the ADU. And then we got another one going up in Foster City. We got an Eichler that we're also doing an addition on and an extra garage port. So... Yeah, we got about two going on and three possible projects coming up. Me, Adam, and then two of them, my partner as a construction pro uh, partner, and another one would be like just to buy and then we do an addition on it. So yeah, pretty busy, pretty good year so far. Can't complain, man. Yeah, sounds like really exciting too. And it's cool to see the results after it all came through. Are you financing all those like with your own capital or are you bringing in outside investors to? It's like a combination of everything. And I've been posting more on Instagram and stuff like that. So I got a lot of friends and family who are just like, hey, I got extra money, you know, or I'm waiting to buy a house, but I don't have enough saved up. But, you know, I don't need my money for like a year, year and a half or whatever it is. And they'll send me money. I got business partners from like overseas 
that we were trying to work out and figure out how to bring in money from them to like, so they can do it legally and pay taxes or whatever it is. And then trying to raise money through other partnerships with other friends. So learning a lot, learn a lot from like a lot of other friends raising money, like Tom Tran and them, a lot of stronger pocket guys, um, stronger moms, they're doing a lot of money raising. So I learned a lot from him. And then, uh, yeah, just, just everyone's doing a lot of things. So it's partnering people, my money, friends, family, things like that, like a whole combination of everything. And then are you financing most of it with hard money for the first? Yeah, the hard money we always use in Conventus. Shout out to Brenda. The guys do like the best work out there. I remember meeting Conventus with just Keith back when Keith was just him. Like him and like, I think like a staff of like less than a dozen or something like that. Uh, I got connected with Keith and them from Adam and Bobby over at Aaron Homes, Valley Investors. I met, actually know Adam for like 11, 12 years. I met him back like when we were like college days when he used to party at his house all the time because he was a frat. So my friend lived with him. They'd always have house parties and that's how I met Adam. And then that's when I was getting into real estate and we just stayed in like touch. And then when I moved back to the States, I hit up my one friend, John, and he's like, hey, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting investing right now with Adam. I was like, what? You know, hit me up because I had found a couple of deals and then I did a couple of deals the first year with Adam and then a couple of months after that too, Adam and Bobby. So those guys, have been they're really helpful. I learned a lot with them and really got the ball rolling and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to hustle like those guys. Oh, yeah. And like they came up really quickly too. They've only been in it for about like three and a half years or so. And it's like the same time that I've been in it, but they've obviously taken like way more action and like way more purposeful action too. So they've actually like just skyrocketed. Exactly. They, they have really good chemistry. Like if anyone knows Bobby, Bobby's like a machine. That guy was working at NASA with the wife and kid, two kids. And he was doing, I think for like a year, year and a half. And then he was working during lunch, anytime during work. After, I remember looking at houses with him after he got off of work. And I think, I think it was like a year and a half or something like that before he was able to quit his job. And then Adam, I remember go checking out a lot of properties with these guys. We would be making offers. So yeah, I learned a lot with them. You know, I'm really grateful. I, I got a lot out of there. You know, we had some good projects and hopefully we'll do more projects in the future. You know, I think the biggest thing I got out of everything is partnering with people. Absolutely. Like everyone has something to contribute. And it's actually cool that you knew Adam from like 12 years ago. I didn't know that. Yeah. I remember back in the day when we were just like now, you know, back then we would party and broke and now we're party with at least money. So when did you move back from Brazil again? What year was that? This was like after the World Cup. What is this? I want to say World Cup was 15 or 16, or no, 14, 14, 15, something like that. Okay. And so during that time, you basically came back and you were kind of like starting fresh, right? Because you've been gone for, you know, a year and a half or so. So what was that like? You know, what did you do to kind of get back into the game? Like I actually took a sales job like in telecoms for like six months and because my friend was like, hey, if you work here, I get a referral fee and they're flexible. So I was like, okay. So I worked there and then I just got back into it and hustle. Just like, I got my first deal from mailers. It took me like 12 months to do, doing mailers. And I tried postcards. I didn't like them much. I did letters. Letters work better for me. Everything works as long as you do a lot of it though. You got to put like 250,000% into whatever you do, but you got to like do a lot. If you're going to do mailers, you, a lot of people do like a couple thousand mailers. You ain't going to get shit from that. You're gonna do mailers. You got to put away at least a budget of like twelve to twenty grand to really make it worthwhile. And you got to make sure you hit up people like at least five times. You got a budget for like at least a year, and you need a good list. Like some people do good with absentees. Some do with all of mine were like owner occupied, so that worked really well for me. So, but like make your own list, drive for dollars. I used to drive for dollars like every week, just pick up all the addresses, and then just mail them. You can use tons of services to get their information. Like who is it? it was like use white pages. You can use 
There's like REI Skip. There's a billion services out there. You can pull up uh, addresses and phone numbers and just mail people and call them. So yeah, but when I came back, it took me like, oh yeah, 12 months, 12 months to get my first deal. And then literally a month after that, I got another one. And then it just started rolling from there. So like, if you just do a lot of it, whether you're calling agents, calling sellers, you just got to do a shit ton of it. You got to be willing to do it on the weekends, on Saturdays, on Sundays. I work every week, every day. So if you want what other people don't have, you got to do what they're willing not to do. And that's call 10,000 sellers who all tell you to stop calling them. Exactly. So that's cool. So like when you first came back and you got your sales job, it seems like you basically took, like you already knew in the future that this is going to work out because you've done it in the past. So you took that salary, maybe like a majority of it, and you put it towards these mailers. Yeah, I'll just put it into mailers. So I was I saved money. I was living in my mom's place, so I didn't have to you know spend much on rent. So I just like saved a lot of money. I had money saved away before that. I did blow a lot of money traveling the world because I didn't work for like, you know, a year and a half or something like that. So I blew through a lot of savings, but I don't care. It was all worth it. I'll do it all over again if I had to. So it was all good. So what kind of budget do you think you did spend on these mailers when you sent out this huge blast? Oh, like I think it was at least like 15, 15 to 20 minimum. I had to put a budget of like 15, 20. Yeah. Easy. Over a year though, right? So about a thousand bucks a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spend it over a year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you have to hit people up at least like five times. You got to prepare for a whole year. And you got to make sure it's like a good list, like actual people who have equity, people who are that just didn't buy the house like one, two, three years ago, some shit like that. There's people who mail the people who own their home less than five years. That makes no sense. You know what I mean? Like, I've never bought a house from anyone under like 45 years old. So like, you're not going to buy a home from some guy that's 35 at half off, you know, so it doesn't work that way. Yeah, totally. I and mean, they don't even have the equity to sell you at the discounted price you need anyway. Even if he did, it's highly unlikely. Right. Save your money and don't, don't mail it. How about now? Mailers now, I need to put more money into it. So this year, I want to get back up to doing like 2000 a month in mailers. And then I do a lot of calls. I try to do at least like, my goal right now is like 100, 120 calls a day. And then try to double it on Saturdays. And then I want to start door knocking again. I like door knocking, but it's just time consuming. It's really, really time consuming. So like projects we have, I want to go door knock those areas because like, you know, they're good money in those areas. So if I could find another one, I'd be happy. You know what I mean? Take us all out for dinner. Yeah. And you could tell them, hey, yeah, you'd be like, hey, check it out. I have a project like around the side here. Check out some of the work if you want to see that we're legit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I do it all the time. We deal with investors, people we want to partner with, people we want to work with. It's always good to show people your jobs, your portfolio. Same thing like when you're going, when you're getting contractors. Like the good, the best contractors, I've always had them show me their job sites. Some guys have even just picked me up in their truck and just drove me. And some of the times the homes they finished, the people live there and the people are so happy with them. They'll let them come onto the property. I have one guy that was taking me to look at like a five, 6,000 square foot house he built up in like Castro Valley in the hills. And they took me to another one in like Fremont Hills. So if you want to get like anybody good for anything it's always good to check out their work references and stuff like that how do you find them in the first place referrals a lot of the facebook groups that you and me are both in the same groups uh the networking events those are like the easiest cherry pick ones to just ask people and go to events sometimes you'll find like contractors there i learned from tom that you can give them like small jobs see how they do on there like i have a project with tom we're doing we gave a small contractor just like a small adu like a small i think it was like three, less than 300 maybe like less than three 350 square feet they did like bathroom, small bathroom, small kitchen, like floors, paint, stuff like that. Uh, mostly all interior stuff. They did a decent job. So it took them a little longer than we thought, but it's still a good job. So like the easiest way to do it is give them small jobs and work from there. Technically, that wasn't really a small job, but, but like we didn't give them like, you know, of the whole job that was only like 
that was less than 10% of the whole project. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Test them out first, see how they do, see the response, if they do a job on time, and then you can give them more and more scope of work in the future. Yeah. Because you're highly likely to get burned. Like, if you don't, there's a lot of shady, shady contractors and handymen and people out there. There's a ton of them. And there's people that are charging a lot of money out there. So, yeah, you got you got to test things out. Like, instead of being an agent, I wish I would have been a contractor because those guys are, like, raking in money right now. So, Sean will tell you this other story, right? We had this project in uh, Santa Clara, and uh, we were going down the Yelp list to get people to come through to like, give us quotes and stuff. This one lady came in. She's like, okay, you know, I'm certified for this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this bathroom will cost mm, about 50. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, $50,000. And I was like, what the hell? And I, mean, I was like, okay, whatever. Is that for all bathrooms? She's like, no, just for this one bathroom, $50,000. I was like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> You're crazy. My boy, he just did a guy's master bedroom and bath for 100 k are you kidding me? Like, what the hell can you do in the master bedroom other than, like, you're going to put, like, gold-plated, like, doorknobs and something like that? There's, like, nothing. The master bedroom itself we're going to do, like, you know, maybe put a sliding glass door, you put some nice windows, recessed lighting, but 100K? People, I, I met another guy who, two years ago, he spent a half a million to, in, to do a thousand square foot addition on his house. He'll never get most of that money back if he were to sell. And this is in Willow Glen. In Willow Glen, you know, homes don't go for that much. You know, it's a good area, but when you're, Comparing it to like other areas, it ain't shit. It's nothing. It's tiny. So here's the thing. I don't know much about additions or new construction. So for that, for that kind of scope of work, what would you expect to to pay for that kind of rehab? So retail prices are like five to seven hundred dollars a square foot. People are paying. So if you're doing it yourself, like if you could get mid twos, high twos, that's decent. Like if you're doing it yourself, or even if you get subs or you get a contractor, that's still reasonable. Luckily, my partner. Adam, he's like one of the best out there because he has an extensive amount of construction, new construction specifically ex- experience because he's working all the way out in Chi-Town. And if you know anything about houses over in Chicago, those homes could be, there's way older homes over there, a lot of brick foundation, wintertime, the ground freezes, it's way harsher environment to work in. If you don't got an HVAC system working, your guys can't work in there. It's freezing, you know, below freezing over there. So like he has a lot, a lot of experience. So we do a lot of projects that involves foundation or repairing current foundations so a lot of people get scared by it but if you got a good foundation guy or whatever it is it's not that expensive i think it's probably one i've been told by a lot it's the highest marked up trade is foundation yeah if you don't like flipping houses just do foundation work i like that and yeah so what was the kind of expenses that you guys paid for your project in sunnyvale because you guys did an addition as well right I was under a buck ninety. We spent for everything four hundred square foot addition, electrical, plumbing, kitchen, bathrooms. You have three bathrooms, fourteen hundred square feet, landscaping. Yeah. So one hundred ninety thousand for all the repairs. Yeah, give or you know maybe a little bit more, but like one ninety. Yeah. And since it was like three hundred square foot addition, it's not super big. Did you have to get any kind of special permits, or can you just do everything over the counter? Well, you, well, you have to get permits no matter what. You're always going to get permits to, when you do an addition. It's illegal if you don't have, it's like all those East side houses. It's illegal if you don't have permits. So like, yeah, any addition. What I meant was, did you have to do like a special kind or like we had to like pull it and go through like planning commission or was it just straight over the counter because it was only 300 square feet? Oh yeah. It's like over the counter for those things. Typically like most cities, if you're under four or 500 square feet, you could do like over the counter, but either way, each city varies. Some cities have a fast over the counter process. Some do not. Like San Jose, like if you're changing beams, if you have like beam calculations and a lot of other things, sometimes they won't let you do it, but then you still got to get appointments. 
So like some cities, you could do it, but you got to get an appointment. Or if they have comments, you got to come back again. When can you get another appointment? Like San Jose, I made an appointment for express review for remodel in like first week of November. And our appointment is January 2nd, Adam's going to. So two months for an express appointment. If you go to the city of San Jose, there's guys lining up at like seven in the morning to get tickets and they don't open till nine. Yeah. I mean, I've been there before. It's actually pretty comfortable. It's a nice waiting area. There's at least sandwiches nearby, you know? Yeah. I don't care, man. I'd rather have absolutely nothing there and smell like piss and get in and out. That's what I'd rather have because it's, it's a waste of time. Like right now, we'd rather have architects that go do all the work for us and go to the city because it's a lot of time we burn doing that. Like our time's better looking for more projects than, you know, took me four hours to get a roof permit. Right. For these additions, since it is over the counter, do you still need to have like an architect draw you plans and a structural engineer show everything? You have a drafter do it. You don't have to have an architect. Okay. You can have a drafter do it. Uh, they just have to have like all the calculations and everything else that you would normally have. Uh, Title 24, all those things. You know, they could do it. Anybody could technically do it. You don't need to have an architect. Uh, we had the project me and Tom did for like the townhouses in downtown San Jose. One of the partners we had, he's an architect, but he's not licensed here. So he did the outline and then gave it to an architect and they just cleaned it up and we submitted it. Yeah, you want to talk about that one because that was an entitlement deal that you did with Tom, right? Yeah, it was crazy because that, so that year I was like, I want to do a new construction project or like something commercial and bam, I found one. And I was like, shit, now what do, what do I do? Because I don't know anyone that does this stuff. So I had some people who are interested, but a lot of people in the like rehab community, they don't do entitlements. They don't, a lot of people don't even do new construction. If you look at the majority of the people in flipping, a fraction of them do new construction. So Tom was like, hey, I can bring people together, which is Tom's really good at. So Tom brought our friend High on, who's an architect background, and he works for a lot of developers. So he pretty much was able to say, hey, you know, you could build this many units based on the rules and the setbacks. Kind of like how we look at a house and we're like, okay, we could build this much of an addition based on the setbacks. He's able to tell how many units based on density and all those things. Things that are like beyond the average or even advanced probably home flipper so if you don't know those things you would have to get like an architect or a drafter or somebody who knows like the city guidelines and rules because there's density rules there's parking open space requirements so you'd have to kind of actually like draw it out and know how many units per square acre or whatever it is and if there's bmr like below market unit so that are required how many or what's the threshold before you hit that so there's way, way, way more factors that you never deal with when you're flipping houses. So you would have to pay somebody. So go ahead and just tell us like the whole story behind it. Like, how did you find it? That one, I actually got it. That one was from a mailer. That was a mailer one. It's over, not in the urban village, but it's next to the urban village in San Jose. So if you're in an urban village, there's a high density bonus. You could do like, I think 80, 100 feet tall or something like that. Uh, you could do less parking, less open space requirements, and you can do like more units. So it's high density. We're next to it. So we're in an up and coming area. It's called Burbank. It's close to where Google's going to be built in the transit village. right there by Breakfast Club, if anyone's ever been there. Across from Rose Garden, between downtown, between Santana Row. Which, so it's a really good area. It's a really ugly looking area, but it has a lot of potential. So we got a lot there. It was zoned for residential mix. So it was a lot easier. So we didn't have to go and ask for the city to do something that wasn't required. And because it matched the zoning, we didn't have to go in front of like a city council or something like that. So a lot of people don't know that you have to go in front of city councils to get them to approve projects, 
which is why, you know, it's always good to donate to your local city council when they're running <laughs> for office because you're going to be having to kiss their ass later on if you're doing a big project. Yeah, you would have to know the zoning and we knew the zoning. We found out what it was. We, then we had to go out and meet with tons of architects that will do the job. So price-wise, if you get a big, big firm, you're going to be paying like double versus a smaller mom and pop firm, which might just be like, you know, three, four, five people. And then you want to try to find someone local, obviously, because they're going to be spending a lot of time at the city and with the traffic in the Bay Area, someone that works in Oakland isn't going to want to go to San Jose. We also interviewed some guys in Oakland that Chris Porto, I think I was referred to one by Chris Porto and then a bunch of other guys out there that are really good, but they're doing really big projects. So they're charging top dollar, full, like full retail price pretty much. So after you kind of get an idea of what can be built there, you got to look for the architect and the architect, they'll supply you with some references for things like different reports and different like tests and studies you have to do. Luckily, our partner, Hai, he's really experienced. He worked in a lot of development projects around the Bay Area, like big ones, like one, two, three hundred units. So he had a lot of contacts. We contacted them. They did the reports. We submitted all that to the city with our package. Pretty much just like, you know, if you're pulling a permit for a house, you got to submit your package with what you're going to do. Same thing with that. So you have drawings of like landscaping, streets, the, the units themselves, what they're going to look like, how they're facing. So we submit all that. You get an appointment, you sit down with the planning department and they pretty much like counter you. They're like, you can only build this many units and you need this much square space for open space, private space, parking spaces. And then you go back and forth. They're always going to cut you down. So no matter what you're really able to build there, there's a high chance they're going to cut you down 10, 20% of what you want to build. Like I know one builder in, uh, in Fremont, he was able to build like 70, 80 unit townhouses, but the city cut him down to 50. So even though... You, it looks that way. It's not. That's why a lot of people don't do development because there's no guarantee. It's not like a comp where I find a house for a million and there's two others that sold for one and a half. I know what I'm getting into. But development, you can know what you could sell it for, but you don't know if you could even build to that value. So it's like a guessing kind of game and there's a lot of upfront costs. And you know, it took us like, I want to say like a year and a half to go through the whole entitlement thing and then sell it off. So we would like to have built it, but it's a really big expensive cost to build new construction. And then that's like another, for us, it would have been maybe another two years. So it's a really big, big, big project requires deep pockets. Cause if you do a flip, you know, you could get like 90, 85% financing. You do new construction, like you're not going to get anywhere close to that, you know, maybe get 60 or something. Exactly. Land's about 50%. Yeah. So, it's, and fees are higher, rates are higher. But luckily that house that project, if I remember, had a structure on it, right? There was actually a, a house, or was it actually a triplex? I forgot. No, it was a house. It was a house that was like, it was a house-hacked house with like, I don't know, like 12, 10 rooms. The basement looked like something out of a horror movie that people lived in. Like, there was literally like a little basement space, and they put up some plywood and then put like a curtain, and that was like the guy's door. <laughs> so like and what the weird part was the guy the people who bought it were like these two really really young people like mid-20s but they knew nothing about real estate and they're representing their family in china who have like buku dollars that they just i don't know if they needed to invest it but whatever what they needed to do with that money they needed to invest it somewhere around here so they ended up buying it but they wanted us to clean the house out which made absolutely no sense because i don't know why you need to clean out a house unless you're going to rent it out which they maybe had did, but last time I checked months ago, it was like vacant, but it was a good learning experience. We learned a whole lot from that, like from entitlement, like 
Entitlement is not something that you could just read up in a book and then you learn that way. Yeah, it's not like flipping or something like that. It's totally, totally, totally different. But like, you know, Chris Poor's example, you can make a million bucks on one entitlement deal if you do it right. Yes, you can make a lot of money. The thing is, is that it costs a lot, takes a lot more money to get started. I see. You could do a lot more creative things, though. It's a lot easier to get creative with them, partnering with sellers, doing like seller financing. When you're doing commercial projects, it's way, way, way easier to get to get really, really savvy. You do master leases. There's a billion things you can do. Uh, it's easier to wholesale because it's totally okay to switch corporations when you're doing purchases. You know, if you see a lot of projects, the corporation that owned it's named after the street. It'll be like five, six, seven, you know, Bancroft Street or whatever First Street, because people will have the project in a separate corporation. So it's totally cool just to change corporations and do stuff like that. Versus when you're dealing with like homeowners, or if you're, especially when you're dealing with agents, a lot of agents do not like you wholesaling their properties. Yeah, that makes sense. For this particular project, do you know what you guys spent on the entitlement process? Oh, it was like less than 60. 60,000, that's it? Less than 60, yeah. It was less than 60 off the top of my head, yeah. That's not too bad. And did you guys actually purchase the property from the seller or did you have an agreement? No, we partnered with the seller because again, we didn't know what the end game would be, like if they would really allow it. And I couldn't, at the time, like I said, there's not a lot of flippers who deal in that kind of project. So I didn't have a lot of connections. So we pretty much just told the seller, hey, we'll put up a deposit and we'll just split everything down the middle at the end. So we'll just cut out the cost, split it and go from there. So they made more money. They made extra money than they would have. They made a good amount of more money than they would have if they just sold it normally. So you guys have like, okay, we would buy this for, let's say this price. But instead of that, when we sell it, we'll just split the difference between like what it finally sells for and that. Yeah, we'll just say like you you wanted originally one two, so we'll give you your one two once we entitle it, and everything else in between we just split that down the middle, pretty much. Wow, what are you guys gonna sign it for? That was like I can't even remember. It was like one eight or one nine, something like that. So it was a pretty good deal. Yeah. Really? Wow! Congratulations, you guys did very well. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was a really good learning experience. You gotta like learn and earn at the same time. It's it's a lot. It's a lot different. So as I understand now, why a lot of developers are really picky and they're really particular about projects because there's a lot of unknowns so got it uh so now you're mostly focusing on the flip stuff right and like you said the uh, whole like kind of new construction and addition right yeah i'm doing that i have a whole living project going on with tom and ken too so we got that one up in pacifica but everything else has been like addition so i think everything i have is addition i have one new construction project i partner with a developer in palo alto because he's really experienced in the area and then Another one that we might possibly partner with another investor to do the construction side on a new construction over in East Bay. So yeah, doing more of that side. Uh, the main goal is like to kind of scale it up and then move into like commercial and doing other projects like the entitlements, things like that. You know, new construction, like 10 to 20 units, even like high-end homes, stuff like that. It'd be really good because I know I could find the properties. It's just trying to raise enough money because like if you do a proper project in Palo Alto, you know, you can easily blow two, two and a half years on it, stuff like that. So if I could just raise more money and then the money is the big thing because you have a long holding time. Yeah. And also if you probably don't want to do hard money for those, right? If you can, if you can. At the end of the day, it depends on what your rate is. That's true too. If you're paying like 10, 12%, then probably not. But you could always, I guess, technically do hard money up front and then refi out to like construction loan. The construction loans are obviously, you know, way more difficult to get, but the rates are, you know, way more favorable, third, 40% less. Fees probably be less too. Yeah. And what is your buying criteria? For me, 
I'll buy anything, man. As long as the numbers make sense. Anything, we go all the way up to like SF to San Jose. I'm putting more emphasis now on like upper end areas, like more Palo Alto, Menlo Park, Mountain View areas. I like areas where we could sell for like over, you know, 112, 113, 114 a square foot when we've done. And then for anything we could do an addition on, like homes that are good for addition are like under 1,500 square feet. But I'll buy, you know, a 3,000 square foot home if it makes sense. I don't really care. It could be, we almost bought one in Menlo Park. Was it right during the time Tom and them had Redwood City house party? for that one it was like we tried to buy that thing like at two three and then we got outbid by like a quarter mil and that would have been like a three and a half three six exit with an addition on it and then we had another one earlier that year we tried to buy in the memo park for like two nine but then i think someone outbid us like another 100 or 200k so i want to do bigger projects like i want to hit bigger numbers like the only way to scale up you got to do more and you got to do higher one or the other or do both that's right that's the end goal it's just to keep leveling up when you say that you want the numbers to make sense, what does that really mean? I guess like if you're doing like a basic flip, you could, you know, if you get like 68, buy at 68, 65% to ARV on a basic flip, that's cool. Like in addition, you want to try to walk with at least like 200K minimum to walk with on a new, like doing an addition. There's a lot of work, more time, more liability, all those things. If it's new construction, you know, you want to walk with at least like seven, 800K minimum. Like some of the developers I know, they're walking with like a mil, mil and a half on every house they do for new construction. Nice. Yeah. But that's gross, right? Or is that after all like commissions and closing costs and stuff? No, the builders, I know they, like, they're walking with like a mil, mil and a half after paying out all that stuff. So yeah, like if I could do new construction, like, you know, the Palo Alto, the Los Altos, the Hillsboroughs, you're making, because you're reselling at like, you know, 11, 12, 13, $1,400 a square foot. And on a three, 4,000 square foot home, that's a lot. Like, it's really risky to do something like that in San Jose or Santa Clara because the prices for resale are just so low. You'd have to be doing like what we did, like 10, 20 townhouses or something like that to make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you need to actually have a partner who hopefully has experience in those areas too, because you don't want some guy who only does like new builds in San Jose to do your new build in Palo Alto. There's different like things that buyers are looking for. Yeah, you're doing a higher end, so your costs are a lot higher. So it's a lot. And you just need really good, the people who do rehabs and the people who do additions and new construction are like totally different people. You could have like the rehab contractors, you know, do your finishes, but, you know, having them do like the whole foundation, retaining walls and stuff like that, you know, it might not be bueno. So that makes sense. Yeah. So what are you going to do now? Like in terms of more lead generation, are you just going to focus on the mailers? And cold calling? Mailers, calls. I got a pretty good team right now calling with me. I got my other team members, Manuel Fluker and Puya Rafia. They're both on the phones with me making calls. So more seller calls, more agent calls, wholesalers, raise more money, work on higher end areas, bigger price per dollar areas. Like I'll still buy something in San Jose if it's, you know, as long as the numbers make sense. If I have to spend my energy and time though, like physically searching and scraping, then I'll just look at the Los Altos and Palo Alto and Menlo Park areas, you know? And if you're making those phone calls, what are you saying to them? It could be anything. Be like, hey, you know, I just bought a house over here off of Wolf and, you know, we're looking to buy another one. So I just want to see if any of the neighbors are selling. Or I drove by your house the other day and it looked like nobody lived there. So I just want to see if someone wants to sell, if you guys are looking to sell or something. And they kind of off guard. Nine out of a hundred times they're like, click, right? Or... Uh, people don't hang up on you, but they'll just tell you like, you know, I'm going to die here or I don't, I'm not looking to sell. Most people are not bad. Like people overdo it, but a, at the end of the day, you got to talk to a lot of people. Like 
uh, who was it? Like, was it Jeff Bezos or somebody like that? They, they went to like a hundred bankers to raise money before someone gave them money or something like that to start Amazon. I know Facebook, he went, they went to a lot of VCs before someone actually took them on. So you just got to pound a lot. Like I remember reading that book, Pounding the Stone, I think it was a sales book. You just got to be out there grinding every day because it's like small, small growth in the beginning and then it like blows up. It becomes like quantum leap in the end. But like you got to be willing to grind seven days a week. You got to be willing to grind on vacation. You got to be willing to grind day and night, you know, make calls. Like people asking me like, oh, you see The Mandalorian or Game of Thrones. I was like, I don't even know what the hell shows those are, man. I don't watch any of that shit. I don't got time for that. I'm trying to make money. That's what I'm trying to do right now. So like, People don't understand, like, there's days you work until, like, 10, 12 at night, you know what I mean? Then you get up at, like, 5 in the morning, go gym or something. So it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like, you spent the first year coming back, like, working at a regular job and then putting all that money into putting on mailers. So, like... Yeah, you got to reinvest. And uh, it takes time and money to get these things rolling. And you get a lot of failures. You get a lot of close deals that are close. You almost get them, and then someone else will take them. Or, like, the one uh, Elisa had over there in San Carlos that Jason Boozy ended up buying. So I was actually negotiating on that with the agent and then he ghosted me so we almost bought it and we offered like 40 50k more than her and then she made a good chunk of change and then guzi made like double what she made you know you get a lot of close calls but like at the end of the day like it's like you got to bounce back like fast because you got to grind hard because there's a lot of competition here there's a lot of people here buying homes like there's tons of i see every day like you know fortune builders tons of newbie fortune builders a lot of meetups that we go are now into a fortune builder model or something like that. So like, there's a lot of people buying into it and a lot of people mailing and a lot of people calling. So you got to like outlast and do like double, triple. That's right. And just like you said, every month there is a new wave of people who come through, like even not my meetup groups, right? Like maybe 50% of people who come through are people that I've never seen before and they're new. So, you know, I, I love seeing the new people, you know, podcasts like these are to help them actually become better at their business. But yeah, a lot of competition out there. So you got to do something special to uh, differentiate yourself from the crowd. Yeah, man. They're bidding up all the prices. So what would you say that some of your challenges are now? Just being consistent. My biggest challenge will always be myself. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just about me competing with me, doing more. Stretch, like Tony Robbins says, you got to stretch yourself every day. You know what I mean? Every day I try to break my calling records or whatever it is records for the day before, you know? I got to keep my stats, look at my stats every day so I can make sure that I know what I'm supposed to do this week. I got an accountability partner that's really good. Tam Lee, you probably met her before, friends with Tom. We do our weekly meetup. We just did our 2020 business planning earlier this morning before I came. So just like staying accountable, stretching myself, pushing myself, sticking to my word. Like for me, like I don't mind working the long hours. I don't mind working the weekends. I don't, you know, mind every, I love what I do. You hear a lot of people bitch and complain about, you know, their job and all they work, look for us for the weekend, but I couldn't imagine doing that for 40 years. So I love what I do. So at the end of the day, it's just more like, trying to cram as much as done, start right away, be proactive, focus on that 80-20 thing. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I feel like that's like this, the point that people need to understand. It's not about just looking for the results, right? It's about enjoying the process too. So it's really good that you enjoy like doing the calls and like doing the outreach and also obviously doing the deals and getting the paychecks. Yeah. Or you, or you burn out. Exactly. And is there something that you wish that you knew that you know now? Yeah. So I should have... Uh dropped out of school earlier and got into construction or become an architect like my mom said you can do your own designs and then you can do your own entitlements and make million dollars per entitlement deal yeah it's not even about doing the designs it's just knowing what you can uh, do with the project faster and easier because you know like what the rules are and things like that or construction because like construction people are killing it right now in construction like 
people are charging, if your cost is like 250 a square foot to build, you're charging people like $500. You're building like, what, 3,000 square foot home, you know, what, 3,000 square feet times like $250. What's that, like 750K, right? 750 spread. And you're not putting your money out, you're just getting draws. You put out some of your money in the beginning, right, from materials and your labor, but you get it back pretty soon. You get deposits too from your clients, so not really. Mm, not really. People I know doing, they're doing good. So I don't see any reason. When the economy hits, construction does get a hit. So that's the one thing is that when the economy goes bad, construction really does get hit. So as long as you switch your mindset, like a lot of guys doing construction, they did really well because they did, they did uh, project management or stuff for the banks, doing a lot of basic landscaping, boarding up houses, property maintenance, so trash outs. Like I think 1-800-JUNK got started during the recession. And that guy, look at him now. He's like, you know, billionaire, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like close to a billionaire, if not. So like, I think as long as you're just flexible with the times, construction, you make a lot of money, man. You make stupid amount of money. If, you got, if you're charging full retail and you're not going around just trying to be cheap, yeah. Would you consider doing that instead of real estate investing? If, I, if someone throws us a project that makes sense, we'll do it. We'll do it. If we're paying, we're getting like, you know, good money for it. There's no reason not to, you know, at the end of the day, it's business. You know what I mean? Money talks. That's all I care about. I love it. So are there any tips that you can give to new investors who are just starting out? Everything works. Just do a shit ton of it. Like focus on one thing and just really go hard at it. Like just don't try to do bandit signs and like mailers and all these other things. Just do one thing and do a ton of it. Like give up watching Netflix, you know, work your weekends. Like you got to put in time. It don't matter if you got kids or what. Your bank account doesn't give a shit who you have. At the end of the day, you're going to make money or you're not going to make money. You know, I got friends who are like, hey, let's go hang out. I'll be like, well, I'll come out when I'm done. I gave up TV for one month. I'm almost done. And this month I've been super, super productive. It's like it makes a huge difference when you give up something so simple. It does. No news, nothing like that. The only thing I'm on is maybe like Instagram because that's people message me and like Facebook because a lot of the groups there. But I don't browse through like Facebook or anything like that. No, or if I catch myself browsing on Instagram, like, I'll just get off and you know try to get back to work. But I try like no news, no TV, no Netflix. I let my friends have my Netflix account. I don't even use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, focus on your hustle. And so I know that you're doing a lot of these like newer construction and like addition plays. And typically, the reason why most flippers don't want to do it is because they say it takes more time. So now you have more exposure to the market fluctuations. Are you concerned at all with a shifting market? No, because I've seen the worst of it and it's not bad. <laughs> like, if you think about it, like during the last recession, you got a guy at McDonald's that's a manager making 50K buying five houses. Now a guy at Google who makes 250 could barely buy one house and that's with like 50% down. So when I see people, if, if 103% loans come back again, then yeah, that makes sense. But I see people buying in every neighborhood of every price, all cash. We got all cash offers above asking price. And we're on a busy ass street. That street is super busy. It's good location, but it's a super, super busy street. You know, Wolf, it's, it's a busy street. <laughs> it, well, there's always a correction, but as of right now, it's not going to be anything major. When you got people still buying multiple offers, paying all cash, having, you know, the, the people that bought our house, they had almost, it was like close to 50% down. So I'm not really that worried and the people that are buying if you put 50 40 percent down they're not gonna walk away from the house anytime soon they only have one house yeah man i was sad too i, I wanted to go to you guys open house party it seemed like a lot of fun but i was uh i was over in austin texas at the time it's all good man we'll have another one for san jose one we'll have one for foster city one foster city will probably be like early summer same thing with san jose do one for every project 
I know I'll see you probably at another meetup. I know there's a bunch of them coming up soon. In January, there's a couple. Brian has it. Some other people have one. So, yeah. Wait, where are you based out of again? San Jose. I'm over here, like, Cambrian area. Gotcha. But as you can see, like, this is everybody that you probably had on your podcast, you know, from meetups, everyone from, like, Sean, from a Visionary, his crew, Mac Castillo, tons of people, Franco, they all hang out here, and we're all just, like, boiler room, man, just making calls. All right, I got to kick it with you guys more, more often because uh, I've been cooped up in my house for too long. Definitely, man. You got to come out. Absolutely. All right. Is there any last tips you have to give to our listeners before we end our show today? Yeah, man. Like, make sure you really love what you do because, like, it could be, it doesn't have to be real estate. Like, it could be, like, selling cupcakes or, you know, selling T-shirts. Like, you can make good money doing whatever you want as long as you like what you do. So if you like what you do, it's easier to do it. And you just got to go at it, like, a thousand percent. You got to be willing to, like, been 24 hours like don't give a damn about what your family your friends your girl anybody says about what you're doing you just got to just hustle for yourself man do you i love it thanks so much for the advice so michael how can people get in contact with you the easiest way is probably instagram we buy bay area just spelled out how it is or um leave a comment i'll give you my phone number if someone puts it, leaves a comment i can um give my phone number or something like that and they can reach out to me Probably those are the easiest ways because I get a billion emails every day. We buy Bay Area on Instagram or just leave a comment. Drop in my phone number. Sounds good. All right, Michael. Thank you so much for your time. And I'll see you all later. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Cool. Take care. Bye. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. You learn by doing. Everything works in this business, but you have to do a lot of outbound marketing to see the results. Entitlement deals are very lucrative if you can make it work. And it's easier to be creative with commercial projects because the sellers are generally easier to work with. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.